This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The following program has some offensive language. Though none of us would be here without the verb deployed, it's thought by many better not to hear the verb deployed. Hi there. Thanks for joining us on a Saturday or whenever you happen to be listening to this. But if it's Saturday, extra thanks. We had, I think, a good reaction to what we've decided to do with this segment, which is to play a best of the week and then pull an interview or a segment from our vault. The best this week, or at least one thing I'd like you to listen to if you missed it, was about the Canadian truckers and coverage thereof, and comparing it to coverage of some of the BLM activists in the year 2020. I tried to be fair. I put together my thoughts on it. Let me know what you think. The interview, however, I think it's very interesting. I was very happy to have remembered this. It was from one of our first months of interviewing, of doing the gist. I think it was the only interview we ever did in a laundromat, except maybe that time I interviewed Al Gore. Jessica Pressler is the interview subject. I thought of Jessica because I was watching, not really watching, I was listening. I heard in the next room, my wife listened to Michelle. You might know her from such credits as logistics engineer. Michelle was watching Inventing Anna, Anna, which is a new Netflix series. And it's about that scammer and grifter, Anna Sorkin. It was originally written as a New York Magazine article by the great Jessica Pressler. Jessica Pressler is also the person who wrote a magazine article in 2015 called The Hustlers at Scores. It was made into Hustlers with J-Lo. The magazine article is fantastic. The movie had J-Lo pole dancing, so that was good. I mean, she was great in the movie, but the article is just a triumph of uh, narrative journalism. In this interview, and why it was set in a laundromat, is that Jessica had was sort of casting about for some of these uh, dot-coms that might not justify all of the money that were invested in them. And she found one called Washio. And what a story it was and what an interview. So first, my take on the Canadian truckers versus BLM coverage. And then my interview from 2014 with Jessica Pressler. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And now the spiel. Canadian truckers remain in Ottawa and the government is reaching its breaking point. The chief of police has resigned. Residents there feel under siege and word is spreading that a crackdown is coming soon. 
This, by the way, is not a good way to make a point, which is reflected in the fact that so few Canadians agree with the truckers and their anti-vaccine mandate stance. It's in contrast to the mass protests that swept America in 2020 after the murder of George Floyd. Then Gallup showed that two out of three Americans supported the protest. It's about the inverse, almost exactly the inverse of the support the truckers have in Canada. But if you listen to voices on the right, not necessarily the far right, in fact, even some people who are among the two-thirds supporting Black Lives Matter, they complain about glaring inconsistencies with how North American media has covered each set of protesters. It's true, the coverage has been different, but let's be honest, here's the biggest difference. One was a protest for a righteous cause, the other is a protest for a stupid cause. These are my opinions, but they are a little more than opinions. Stupid is dismissive, I'll admit that. What I mean to say is the trucker's points I do not find to be nearly as rooted in fact as the most basic point of the protest from the summer of 2020. If the BLM protest could be distilled down to one point beyond the clear slogan that Black Lives Matter, the protest said something like this, we need police reform. Different people have different ideas about how to get there, what forms of reform, how much reform, Quite a loud subset of protesters continue to reject the idea of reform in favor of abolition or defunding. But the idea that reforms were needed in policing that was clear and that was clearly popular, even though Senate Republicans did not sign on to a broader bill, they too submitted a raft of reforms. I don't know if it was a large raft or a seaworthy raft, but it would have done things like limit chokeholds. Democrats opposed it. Nothing passed in the end. My point is the protests about George Floyd were expressing an opinion that the majority, I would say the vast majority of Americans believed in. I will acknowledge there was a variety of voices within those protests, and many of the voices even contradicted each other. Summer 2020, that was about police reform. The trucker protest, that's about anti-mandating vaccines. It puts these truckers in the clear minority among Canadians, and their tactics are less popular still. So, coverage of a righteous protest is going to differ from coverage of a stupid protest in natural ways. That's not a bad thing. However, there were tactics of the BLM protests that were excused or diminished in a way I believe that makes some of the same people offering the excuses then look a bit hypocritical now. Let's take violence, which Canada's public safety minister, Marco Mendocino, won't stand for. There, there's no justification for violence. There's no justification for going out and threatening and intimidating. That seems uncontroversial, except... Back in 2020, it was a little controversial. When the violence included arson, looting fires, throwing bricks, smashing windows, sometimes that was decried by those who sympathized with the goals of the protesters, but sometimes not. Prominent thought leaders on the left redefined violence as not violence. This was New York Times Magazine writer Nicole Hannah-Jones on CBS. Destroying property which can be replaced is not violence. And to put those things, uh, to use the exact same language to describe those two things, I think really um, it's not it's not moral to do that. So, yes, I, I think any reasonable, excuse me, any reasonable person would say we shouldn't be destroying other people's property. But these are not reasonable times. These are not reasonable times. I do not think works well as a standard. 
Not much seems reasonable about the Canadian truckers. Should they be excused if they start smashing windows? Okay, you might say, yes, but the reasonableness or unreasonableness of the truckers is caused by the truckers, but it was being reacted to by the protesters in the U.S. Let's take Portland. How reasonable was Portland? For over a year, nightly protests included a lot of violence, using the plain understanding of violence, more violence than the Canadian truckers. One Portland protester, an Antifa member, killed a Trump supporter. It went on and on and on. Fireworks, projectiles, broken windows nightly. Portland was much more violent than Ottawa has been, but it was a fairly common talking point, even among the not very far left, that Portland was a barely significant exception. This was Jessica Yellen on Bill Maher's show. Where is this mass destruction of property happening right now? Like, if you look at... Have you watch the news? If you look at Portland, it's two square blocks. The cameras well, go to where the... Well, there's also Kenosha. There's also... Briefly. There's, yeah, for a moment. Well, it, it happens... Well, we've had it. Possible. We had it here in L.A. I mean, I, there are stories I've been to that I saw on the news wiped out. And those were moments of protest, okay. which we have throughout our history. Is uh, to, pain part of protest? Pain is protest. Does it need to be? Well, things seem pretty painful for those who have lived for weeks with horns and catcalls and the disruption of the truckers. And still, a right-wing leader tweets, to folks who complain, protest demands make others uncomfortable. That's the point. Actually, I lied. That was not a right-wing leader. That was Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez tweeting in 2020. To folks who complain protest demands make others uncomfortable, that's the point. The whole point of protesting is to make people uncomfortable. Activists take that discomfort with the status quo and advocate for concrete policy changes. Popular support often starts small and grows. I'm sure the Canadian truckers would actually sign on to all of that. So there's some logic in what she's saying. Sometimes small protests lead to big changes. Sometimes they're just horribly annoying and unfair to the people who live around the area of the protest. But it's also logical to want some consistency in endorsing protester-inflicted discomfort or decrying it. Is the consistency only to be determined by our opinion of the underlying message. Some tactics like shouting at bystanders, inflicting pain, discomfort, invective at regular citizens trying to go about their business, clogging up traffic, shutting down towns, making life miserable for people whose only crime is to live in a certain area. Those things I think generally should be rejected as incompatible with a free society, a society that's bounded by the rules of law. I believe that in Canada, and I believe that when it was happening in neighborhoods around the U.S. If a trucker were to tweet or put up a video endorsing lawlessness, he should be, would be, roundly denounced. The claims of a BLM protester like Ariel Atkins of Chicago, I think should be considered in a very similar light. I don't care. If somebody decides to loot a Gucci or a Macy's or a Nike, because that makes sure that that person eats, that is reparations. Now, to be fair, I'm not telling you that Atkins comments, which did get wide play, were celebrated by Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot or Senator Dick Durbin or other members of the Democratic establishment who were down with the cause in general, just not the looting and the reparations. But these comments were a lot less roundly decried than you might expect they would be. The public radio station WBEZ ran a Q&A with Atkins under the headline, Winning Has Come Through Revolts, a Black Lives Matter activist on why she supports looting. And she did support looting. They asked her four questions. One, what's your take on the looting downtown? She was for it. Two, 
What do you say to people who argue looting undermines Black Lives Matter message? Show them buy it. Three, what do you think of the mayor's comments? Didn't like them. And what else do you think people need to know? It would be inconceivable for the public broadcaster, the CBC, to broadcast as unchallenging an interview with a Canadian trucker who endorsed lawlessness. In 2020, USA Today wrote in a news article about looting and arsons, quote, historians and sociologists said reflexively condemning the actions, meaning looting and arsons, as reckless or self-defeating, minimizes the extent of people's rage. Floyd's death has become part of an all-too-familiar pattern of confrontations between police and African Americans who lose their lives over minor offenses. For all the denouncements, there are many who say the riots are actions of those who have exhausted every other way to be heard. The truckers say that too. So what's the standard? Just to defend whoever has the better cause? And once the cause is just, to justify all expression that stems from it? It is so intellectually and ethically inconsistent to do so. Well, it's ethically inconsistent if you share an ethical code in the same universe as mine. But it's also foolish from a messaging or media perspective. If the media is to be held as a more or less fair arbiter of fact, then the tendency to excuse extremism in the pursuit of a just cause will be used against you when the cause changes. And if the answer is, well, the cause changed, then you expose yourself as not so much reporting on and analyzing actions as weighing in on the goodness or badness of actors. The truckers and the protesters should not be treated the same. The reporting on the legitimacy of each of their grievances, it's been generally good. The reporting on their motivations, look, I never mind hearing people's opinions, so I'm all for that. But when one group acts in the same way as the other group, or in the case of the truckers, with fewer overall incidents of violence than BLM protesters, and they're treated very, very differently, media and public figures mark themselves as inconsistent, as taking sides, and as rooting for outcomes and not reflecting events. Let's like demolish laundry. It's too good a quote not to use and uses the title of an article on how Silicon Valley is trying to wash your clothes better, faster, and cooler with an Uber-type app. Jessica Pressler wrote the article for New York Magazine, so we came to a laundromat here in lower Manhattan. I'm surrounded by dryers and washing machines, and the Steve Harvey show is playing. You might hear that in the background. About six people are doing their laundry just sitting there, some of them using smartphones. You would figure if there was an Uber-type app to do their laundry, that would save them time, money, and effort. So while we were here, we ran into a clothes washer, Natalia Padolino. So what was that vinegar trick you did? So I've been looking at natural soaps and trying to clean with them, and so I bought every product out there to clean my sports wash and my delicates, and to you know to get rid of like the smell that yeah. absorbs. Yeah. And apparently vinegar, you know, gets like makes your clothes brighter and gets rid of all the smell. So I've been using vinegar in all my loads now, and it's awesome. Could I just say that? The idea of the term sports wash may have changed my life. <laughs> I didn't know of a good way to refer to that dirty <laughs> gym stuff. <laughs> my sports wash. Yeah, sports wash. So we're doing a story. We're interviewing the author of a New York Magazine article about these apps, these laundry apps. Yeah. You kind of roll your eyes. You ever think, why do you do your own laundry? Um, 
Well, I'm really, I'm really peculiar with my delicates. I guess hence the vinegar. Yeah. So even this one, you have to watch out. Some machines actually, even though you put cold, they actually wash it with hot. Yeah. So if you wash wool, they'll shrink anyway. So I'm you, very peculiar with my laundry. So you wouldn't use an app because you wouldn't trust them. Like that's why you don't do drop off with laundry here. Is that right? Well, what kind of apps? You well, you know, like an Uber for car. Yeah. What if there was one for laundry? And there is. There's like seven, but they haven't really taken off for some reason. Yeah, I mean, if there was someone I could trust, I would love for someone else to do my laundry. <laughs> Natalia was there doing one load of sports wash in a small machine at Grove Street that cost three seventy-five. Withdrawing her visit will cost her $4.75. With Washio, now located in L.A., San Francisco, and D.C., the cost would be about $20, including delivery fee, for about 10 pounds of laundry. But Natalia said it wasn't the cost keeping her from sending out the laundry, it was trust. We told the author of the article, Jessica Pressler, about Natalia's hesitation to use a laundry app. Jessica said she'd heard those concerns before. All of the guys that I talked to, and I talked to multiple laundry apps, and they stress customer service in a big way because a lot of this was born out of the frustration of having the dry cleaner ruin something, a guy not folding your socks the right way. And they really pay a lot of attention to that. You know, like I had a whole conversation with somebody about like, you know, Mary likes her socks in balls and like, you know, (laughs) so-and-so likes them another way. And they do pay attention to that. That's definitely a part of it. At what point did everyone in American society become a Roman emperor? (laughs) I really don't know how to answer that. I mean, (laughs) my socks in balls or I will behead the servant that does not. Oh, my God. It's the Cersei Lannister economy. So, Jessica, you did a profile of these guys who want to, as we, as it says in the title, what? Destroy laundry as we know it? Disrupt. Dem- disrupt the laundry industry. Oh, crush the laundry industry is, I believe, the quote that you're referring to. Right, so these guys are like, give me a, a sense of who they are. They're like laundry bros. Yeah, they're, they're very nice guys. They uh, went to Argentina after college and opened up a burrito chain. Not just one burrito spot, but like a whole restaurant chain. Um, which is kind of impressive for 20-something-year-old guys. I mean, I would have just drank caparinas myself. <laughs> I think I did. And so they open up these, you know, whatever, 14 burrito stores, but they come here and they're like, oh, my God, we've been missing out on everything. The world of apps, the world of everything on demand. Right. Well, as you recall, I mean, the past three years we've been here, so it's been kind of a slow boil for us. But if you were away and you came back, you'd be like, whoa, the world has completely changed in the past three years. So they saw, like, a different world than the one that they left, and they wanted in on it. What would their elevator pitch be for what their app and what their service provides? Their elevator pitch is that it's kind of a seamless experience that you can just press a button and a ninja will appear to take your laundry away. They will wash it for you, they will dry clean it for you, and they will return it to you with a cookie. And it was a warm cookie in the beginning, but I think that was too ambitious, and now it's just a cookie. Yeah, and then the cookies got a little controversial. And the cookies got a little bit controversial because, you know, it's California and not a lot of people are into the cookie eating situation. But the people in Washington apparently love the cookies. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) All right. So, look, they're successful. They're successful enough. They have a track record of 14 burrito stores in Argentina, which seems like a euphemism for something. But at times, did you say this is plausible or mostly did you say this is far-fetched? You know, what impression did you get about the viability of this business plan? Oh, it's totally viable. I mean, when I was there, I mean, when I'm in any situation, I definitely think that 
the person is totally sane and everything that they're doing is normal and it makes a lot of sense. And I'm like, yeah, this is a good idea. And then I get home sometimes and I'm like, wait a minute, this is kind of nuts. And it was a little bit of that. Like the big picture is that it's a little bit crazy. But in reality, a lot of people I told about this were like, oh, are they coming to my area? And as you convey in your article, you know, the reader gets the impression, oh, this is ridiculous. Oh, this is ridiculous. And then I said, this is ridiculous, but it's totally in keeping with capitalism. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. yeah. I think we as a people are ridiculous at this moment in time. It's not specifically Washio or any of the laundry startups. It's just us and our level of entitlement that is just growing. More than one person has pointed out that what the internet is really good at is solving the problems of the people who create apps on the internet. Yeah. You know, 25-year-old 20, guys get their problems solved because those are the people who are driving the tech industry. Yeah, I think that was in The New Yorker, and that's totally true. And that's who has the money and, and needs has the problems. Problems in air quotes again. <laughs> so what does your article say about the way we live now? <laughs> um, I think it says that we're moneyed and lazy. And that's, that's basically it. Okay, but this gets back, like, what is capitalism? Like, you could argue the same about farming, and you could argue, as is your article. I mean, there's always been innovations. The scrub board, and then the washing machine. Like, why is this the line of demarcation where now past doing your own laundry or dropping it off, now that's the lazy line? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's, like, kind of this, like, ever-growing... I think I mentioned the hedonic treadmill, where you just get used to privileges, um, and you keep upping the ante and more and more and, and now we won't want to do our laundry and then you know it's going to be too annoying to have them come to your house and you're going to have like a special locker I don't know there's going to be like some other innovation yeah. eventually so is there something about the app the Lashio app that allows us to essentially air our dirtier laundry maybe if we're bringing our laundry to an actual place and people see us connected to the laundry we're not going to bring the I don't know, crustiest and bloodiest among us. <laughs> Crust, yeah, no, I would think that it would be like when the cleaning lady comes and you clean up for the cleaning lady. I think, I would think that you do a little pre-clean on your laundry, and maybe that would become, you know, an onerous chore eventually. Although, and you could give this idea to the Washio guys if you're still in touch, that could be like Washio elite level, where the no questions asked laundry. <laughs> you know, you have to buy in and you get a Washio black card. That's a I service that, they can I provide. That sounds like a winning app idea and you should yeah. go into business. So what do you think their chances are? I mean, um, what's his name? Uh, Ash Ashton Kutcher plugged him on Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Oh, my God. And actually, since the article came out, they received a lot more funding. I think they have $10 million in funding right now, um, which is kind of amazing. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot of... They have a lot of backers. They have a lot of really important vocal backers. Um, Ashton is one of them. Like Justin Bieber's manager, Nas is an investor. Like, it's kind of like the who's who of, of the most prominent tech world investors in a lot of ways. So I think that they have some, they have a good chance. Jessica Pressler wrote the story of Washio for New York Mag. We spoke at Grove Street Laundry here in the West Village after our chat. The owner told us she was considering an app herself to help coordinate their drop off laundry service. And as a postscript, if you've not heard of Washio since then, it is because they are now Rinse. They went out of business in about 2016, and a company called Rinse, which is a business that is still existent, they bought their the rights to their customer base and maybe their branding. And if you go to washio.com, it takes you to the Rinse site. 
I should also say thank you to my producer back then, Andrea Salenzi. She put that whole thing together and recorded it in the laundromat. The producers for this show are Corey Wara, the assistant producer, senior producer, Joel Patterson, and Michelle Pesca, in charge of inspiring seven-year-old segments. Talk to you Monday.